You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. Amen is right. Hey, let's get our Bibles out this morning and open them up to the very first book of the Bible, uh, the book of Genesis chapter 2, as we launch into a new series entitled You, Me, and then capitalized He. Um, this is a uh, series about marriage, and um, it in some ways for everyone in the church. And if you're here today and um, you're married, then it's for you for sure. Um, if you're here and you have been married and through whatever circumstances, maybe you find yourself in a difficult place, there are going to be things for you to be reminded of and to grow in and understand God's love and caring for you. If you're here and you're hoping one day to get married, then I trust this will give you a pathway to kind of work your way through in this series. We're not going to cover everything on the topic in one week. It's going to take some time and, uh, and so uh, just bear with me on it. The reality is the he in this sermon series is about God who is most neglected in marriage today. He's always neglected in secular marriage, but even in Christian marriage, oftentimes we get this ooey-gooey thing with each other going on and we lose focus of where the key focus in our marriage is supposed to be and, and that's on the Lord. Uh, just about a year ago, a year ago next week, I was doing a wedding right here, and we were standing right on this platform, and, and uh, you have in a wedding 10, 12, 14 minutes for your message, and uh, um, here was my message outlined for that particular wedding. Marriage is a God thing. Marriage is a good thing. Marriage is a growing thing. Marriage is a grace thing. And marriage is a glorifying thing. You're like, Pastor, you did that in 8 to 12 minutes, and it's going to take you six weeks now. Yeah, you're going to get a little bit more than they got um, in that time. I got into the office the next week. It was interesting because a couple of the staff who'd been at the wedding said, Pastor, you got to make that outline into a book. I'm like, yeah, well, I'm never writing a book. Um, if you want to write the book and put my name on it, that would be fine. But, um, and, but that was really the trigger a year ago for where we are today. And uh, uh, coming back to what we need to look at as a church about this very important topic. And I've added a couple of more uh, titles to it. So along with a good, a God and good and growing in grace and glorifying thing, we're going to take a week and we're going to talk about marriage as a getting it on thing. Um, I had another good G word for having sex. And so... Uh, that will be about intimacy in marriage that week. If you've got a, a good word, I can make that title better. You go ahead. Um, gratifying doesn't count because gratifying is so self-serving. And so um, marriage is a getting it on thing. And then we will not in this order, but we'll do one message on when marriage is a gross thing and when it loses track of what God designed it for and what does that look for and where's our hope and caring as a church. And so over the next six times that I preach, those are the topics we're going to be looking at. Today, we're launching out of Genesis chapter 2. So let's stand together. We want to read from God's Word. We want to honor Him as we read. And I'm going to start in verse 18 uh, down to the end of the chapter. Then the Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. 
And so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed it up, closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, these are the first recorded of man in history. This is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word and what it's going to teach us in these next weeks. We pray, Lord, that you would uh, make us receptive to what you want to say to us, not, not the wisdom of man, not the thoughts of a preacher, not what the world has to say about this, Lord, but what you have to say about this very important, this very important thing that we call marriage. So, Lord, guide us today. Give us ears to carefully listen to your word, minds to understand it, and then, Lord, hearts, a willingness, a passion to follow through and do what your word says for your glory. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. Well, you know, before you get married and you're on that journey and you're getting ready for the wedding and you think this is going to be such a wonderful world, there's going to be perfect happiness, like we both love peas and the Toronto Raptors and the Maple Leafs, like what else can there be that we need in our lives? And, and then you get married and you find out that bad breath and messy hair and dirty laundry come along with it. And all of a sudden it's like, where did that come from? I thought it was all going to be, you know, peaches and cream and everything would be fine and... Marriage is hard work. It's a great work. It's an amazing thing. It's awesome what God has allowed in it. But it's not easy. It's not simple. And it's worth it. I'm so thankful for um, a team around me here of godly men and women who serve in our church. And uh, each week, I'm going to pick on a different group, uh, but we're going to start with the elders and their wives uh, today, and then next week will be the staff, and then over the week, some of your faces are going to show up on the screen. I have people, just so you know, and, uh, um, and uh, as we talk about that, but I was thinking about our elders in this and uh, what they looked like the day they got married um, and uh, you can imagine. Um, so let's start with uh, Dave and Ruth Naismith. Dave is the chairman of our elders. Uh, isn't that nice? Aw. That's, that's appropriate. Um, they've been married um, 31 years. They're away this week and they chickened right out of the service. They're not even coming to church. <laughs> because they're away on their anniversary. And uh, married 31 years. Uh, Dave and Sonia Locke. Sonia's in the room. Dave's downstairs praying for us. Uh, they were married in 1982. This is the 36th year of marriage for them. When Dave sent that picture, I said, who is that guy with your wife? And, uh, <laughs> and if you think you see Jason in that picture a little bit, you do, right? So uh, um, the next one uh, is Teddy and Rose. And Teddy and Rose were married in 1995, and uh, they've been married for 23 years. And then George and Lisa Stavropoulos were married in 1995 as well and have been married for 23 years this year. And then the last one is the old guy and the young bride, and uh, that's... Uh, yeah, that's... I'm a little bit hurt by some of those responses. Uh, on May the 26th, this May, we'll have been married for 39 years. And uh, thankful to the Lord for 
elders and wives who, take the picture down please, to our elders <laughs> and wives who love the Lord and for a wife who loves the Lord and just for his goodness poured out on us. And um, those uh, five pictures are a testimony that marriage works. The society of today says marriage doesn't work. You gotta have prenups, you gotta have everything else, you gotta have an escape, you gotta have a, hey, marriage done right works. And it works 100% of the time. And so we want to get focused back on some of these things that can help us in our marriages and uh, strengthen us in them. And so I've created a definition of marriage. If you're taking notes, there's a bunch of blanks you can fill in, but it really becomes the uh, source of so much of what we're going to talk about. And so here's the definition of marriage. Marriage is a God-ordained covenant relationship between a man and a woman. This relationship is a loving, lifelong, sexually exclusive companionship. It is God's design for bringing children into the world and thus sustains the stewardship of the earth. Biblical marriage displays the relationship between God and his people. That's what a marriage is. Marriage is a God-ordained covenant relationship between a man and a woman. The relationship is a loving, lifelong, sexually exclusive companionship. It's God's design for bringing children into the world and thus sustains the stewardship of the earth. Biblical marriage displays the relationship between God and his people. So there's some things we want to take a look at today as we look at the topic of marriage is a God thing. And here's the first thing. Marriage is a God thing. It was his idea. It was his idea. The world would reject this notion. Um, they would say, well, marriage is a man-designed thing. It, was a God's, it wasn't God's idea. It was our idea. No, no, marriage is God's idea. It goes back to the passage we read at the beginning of time. Um, just because people don't believe something doesn't mean it's not true, right? You can say, I don't believe in gravity, I could say, I don't believe in gravity. I can step off the platform and I will just float across the room. Eh, wrong answer. When I step off, the gravity pulls me down. If I don't believe it, it doesn't matter. Gravity still pulls me down. So we live in a world that has a wrong view of marriage, a, a, a disconnected view of marriage, but it doesn't make it the right view of marriage. And God says that marriage is his idea. Adam and Eve had a special relationship with God. We, we see that in Genesis chapter 1, 27 and 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth and God said it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. The, all the animals have been created. Creation is almost done, and Adam isn't alone. He's, not com- he's alone. He's not complete. And God said it's not good. This is not good in chapter 2 and verse 18. And then the Lord God said, this is what God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him, or the word suitable for him, And then verses 23 to 25, and then the man said, 
This at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and, and they were not ashamed. And so God is going through the whole creative process in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. And at the end of each of the days, it says, and God said, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. And the animals are created, and God said, and it was good. And then God said, it's not good. It's not good that man should be alone. And he gave him a wife. And then Scripture said, and now it's very good. This is God's idea. This isn't man's idea. The concept of being uh, hitched together, the concept of being married is God's idea. Well, pastor, really? Are you really saying that's what it says in this text? Well, I'm glad that you asked. Because the answer to that is really found in what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5. You don't need to look it up. You can look it up when you get home. 531 and other places in Matthew. But it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Right? In the whole context of marriage, that was God's plan. That was God's desire. Marriage is a God thing. It's not a world thing. It's not primarily a government thing. We'll talk about the role of government in marriage. It's, it's not even a, um, primarily um, a personal thing. It's a, it's a God thing. It's, it's not a convenience thing. It's what God designed. And, and so how do we get, how does somebody get married? What are the parts of a marriage? Because some people would say the high school guy and girl that hooked up and she got pregnant. Oh, they're married in the eyes of the Lord. No, they're not. They're sinners in the eyes of the Lord. It doesn't make that child evil or awful. That child is a gift from the Lord. He's a, but too many people in history, somebody got pregnant, they go, now you have to get married. And all you did was compound a bad decision with another terrible decision. But physical union is a significant part of marriage. You remember Jesus, the very first miracle he ever did was at a marriage ceremony. So a marriage ceremony is important. And I believe the government can have a place in marriage. I believe the, our, our world and our system is destroying what that means now just by the very definition of what we believe a marriage is. But when we have weddings here, we have a license that we fill out. It gets registered uh, with the government. And as long as the government allows us to do that, uh, we'll continue to do that. But we're only going to do biblical marriages. And uh, so it's all right to have a, uh, a government thing. I think that's a good thing. And when the government has a standard as best we can until it goes against God's word, we should live by that. And then we have a church part of it where the church comes together and we worship together and we lift up the name of the Lord and I think that's a great thing. And then there's the physical, the coming together, the physical union which is part of the one flesh principle and that's what makes up a, a wedding. That's what makes up a wedding. That's how a marriage begins. Um, but a marriage is so much more than what happens on that day. And so back to our definition, marriage is a God-ordained. It is his design. It is his idea. It is a covenant relationship. We're going to come back to that. This is more than just simple promises that get made to each other, and we hope it works out okay. It's between a man and a woman. The Hebrew word for wife can only mean one thing, 
a woman, a girl. Um, and so God makes it clear. Scripture makes it clear. There is never a picture anywhere in Scripture of a marriage that's not between a man and a woman. So the world does what the world does. That doesn't make it right. But we believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. We believe that marriage is monogamous. It's one man with one woman. No multiple wives is God's design. But you say, well, no, I look all over the Old Testament. I got Solomon. I got all kinds of pictures of guys who had multiple wives. and con- What people do is not necessarily what God designed. And when you get to the New Testament, it's cleared up and it's so simple that we just need to get it and understand it and go, this is what it is. It's between a man and a woman. It's between a man and a woman and it's both physical and it's more than physical. It's emotional, it's mental, it's, it's about faithfulness between one man and one woman and pornography in our society is destroying marriage left and right. Because the guy's like, well, no, I've only ever, I've only, I was a virgin when I got married and I've only ever been with my wife and he's filling his head with porn all week long. Or, or the wife who's same thing. This is not just a man issue. And it's destroying trust. And it's, it's dishonoring the Lord. And so this commitment in a marriage of a man and a woman is one man with one woman. And we have to fight against that. We have to battle that. We have to honor the Lord in that. That's what it says. It's, it's between a man and a woman. In Matthew 5, 27 and 28, it says, You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman in lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Matthew 19, 4 to 6, he answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh, so then they are longer two but one. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. It's a loving relationship. It's not just about feelings. Um, There should be feelings, there will be feelings, but it's also about a commitment, a sacrificial kind of love. We're going to learn about what Jesus Christ did in the demonstration of all this for us. Feelings are fleeting. On any given day, you can feel good about something and very quickly later feel bad about it. It was interesting, I was talking to Mike Armstrong about the Toronto Maple Leafs a couple weeks ago and one of the games against the Bruins, all of a sudden they're down by two or three goals. And he said, it was so easy for me to go, how quickly I turned on them. Because the feeling was gone. They're losing. What's wrong with these idiots? Why can't they get it right? And it's his team. Well, if your marriage is based on feelings and the guy doesn't put his socks in the laundry hamper, it's easy for the feelings to go away. A marriage is far more than about feeling. This love is a a commitment. It's a, a willing to sacrifice. Ephesians 5, all about love as Christ loved. This relationship is a lifelong relationship. It's a, I'm not giving up. I'm not quitting. I don't care how hard it gets, how difficult it is. This is God's idea of how this world is supposed to work. And so I'm committed to it. I'm not going anywhere. It's God's design to bring children into the world. The way God designed for the world to be populated was through loving marriage, loving families, 
as I said before, it doesn't make children who are born in another way less loving to God or they're, they're, they're God's gift to us. But God's design was that children would fill the earth and that would come through marriage. And a biblical marriage displays the relationship between God and his people. This is God's idea. And when you get to Ephesians chapter 5, God sent his son, Jesus Christ. He represents in the picture that's there the, the bridegroom and we, the church, are the bride and how he gave himself for the bride. This is all God's idea. It was his design. And when you get other things first and get him second, then your marriage is in trouble. So that's the second thing. Marriage is a God thing. He is the priority and he deserves our worship. God is the priority and he deserves our worship. Uh, maybe you've heard somebody said this, say this, they say, um, I found my soulmate. Or they'll say something like, um, he or she completes me. Those are like the worst words you can say in a biblical marriage. Your spouse is not your soulmate. He or she does not complete you. The Lord Jesus is your soulmate. He is the one who completes you. And when you get that wrong, when something happens and something goes sideways, you've got nowhere to go. And so God is first. He is the one. Does that mean I don't love my wife? It doesn't mean I don't care. I give anything for her. But she doesn't complete me because the moment she doesn't do what I expect to do. It all starts to unravel and fall apart. And one of the great struggles, even in Christian marriages, is that we get this wrong and we get ourselves worshiping each other instead of worshiping the God who designed marriage for us as an amazing and beautiful thing for us. It's a form of idolatry when you have an obsession with each other instead of an obsession over who God is and what he has done for us. The only guarantee for a successful marriage is God on the throne. A couple of the uh, ladies who I did their two weddings in our church, um, uh, they'd been married about a year or so, and I was talking to them one day, and, and I said, what was your aha moment in your first year of marriage? What was the thing after all you'd heard and the sessions we had, and you just didn't see that coming? And both of them, without even having to think about it, said, I learned how selfish I am. I learned how selfish I am. And, and when, when all you've got in your, your marriage is, I hope she completes me, I hope he completes me, and you're now on to that, I learned how selfish I am or how selfish they are, and all of a sudden the focus gets into the wrong place, we end up in a difficult spot in our marriages Marriage is not a 50-50 thing or a 60-40 thing that will always lead to failure. It's a 100% into what God does thing. And that's the first and primary focus. We are committed 100% to honor God in our marriage. And when you get that right, you'll get the rest of it right. You'll figure it out. The difficult times that will come will be figured out because you've made God the priority that he deserves. You've made him first. He deserves our worship. He is the one who is on the throne in our marriage. My first priority as an individual in my life is God. Love the Lord your God. My first priority in my marriage is God. I can tell you this for sure. Men, if the first priority in your marriage is not your wife, but is God, she's going to be okay with that. It's not going to be a problem. 
when you put him first. And ladies, when you put God first in your marriage, a godly husband is going to love that. Now, I realize people weren't saved when they got married and somebody gets saved and how do I honor the Lord and live for him and be, if you still have to do all those things and be faithful and trust that God will use that to draw that other spouse to the Lord. But, but the reality is the first priority, the only first priority is, is God. Matthew twenty two thirty six to 40. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends all of the law and the prophets. And so we get the priority right of my first priority in my personal life is God first. My first priority in my marriage is God first. And when we get that part right, we'll get some of the other things right as well. And if you're struggling in your marriage... Take a look at where that priority is. Take a look at where your worship is uh, with God. He deserves our, our worship. Love God with all your heart. And then go and do whatever you want. I don't know who coined that phrase. Somebody did. I, I'm, I'm not taking credit for it, but it's a great statement. And people are like, oh, no, no, don't say that. People go and do crazy things. No, you won't do anything crazy when you love God right. Love God with all your heart. You love God with all your heart, you'll deal with your business things right. You love God with all of your heart, you'll deal with friendship things right. You love God with all of your heart and you'll treat your wife right or you'll treat your husband right. Love God with all of your heart, get him first, get your worship for him first. Then you go do whatever you want because you'll delight in the Lord. That's where Adam and Eve started out. That's where it was going for them and then it went all sideways when they became about what they wanted. In Genesis chapter 3 and verses 8 to 10, this is after they've eaten of the fruit. They've figured out we're naked. They're ashamed. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. You have to imagine all the other days they walked around and the Lord came and they had communion with him. They just had a great time together. They, they worshiped together, but now it's, it's different. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Okay, let's understand. That is a loaded question. Like God knew exactly what bush they were hiding behind. Something had changed. Where are you? What happened to you? They are now spiritually dead. The worship has been broken with God. They're now trying to hide from God instead of seeking to put him on the throne. And God begins a redemptive work that ends in the working of Jesus Christ for us. And, uh, but their worship is now broken. How sad that was. Because before they... We're you and me and he, and now it's just you and me, and what do we do now? And when marriages are there, they're in a difficult spot. And so my question for you is, what does your worship as a couple look like? What do you do together to worship the Lord? Do you sit together in church? I hope you are today. And it can be messy. It can be like, well, I'm in Harvest Kids in this service. I'm in... Uh, Sue and I seldom get to sit together in church. Um, but every chance we get, we do. If I'm not preaching and I'm here, I'm sitting with my wife. I'm not standing at the back. I'm not out in the foyer. I'm sitting with my wife. 
Um, I remember one time we were in a church and uh, I was sitting with her. I wasn't preaching. And she goes, I love it when you sit with me in church. Um, and we were just, it was just an act of worship together, but we did it together. You need to do that. You, you need to spend time in the word together. Um, you say, but pastor, I have my personal devotions and we have family time around the table. And yeah, those are good things. But you need to take time with your wife or with your husband in the word. Every day? Sure, every day. Uh, we do it five days a week where we spend some time in the word together. You say, five days a week? What about the weekend? On the weekend, Sue just prays for me on both of the days. And you figure out your thing, but you need to be doing things together in the word. You need to be reading the word together. Find a devotional you read together. It doesn't have to be a long time. It just needs to be done. Don't do it so you get a check mark. Do it because it honors the Lord and you want to worship him in your marriage. So we spend time in the word. We spend time in prayer. We seek to do that every day. Every day. And I've told you this before. When you folks don't get into that prayer time of our lives unless there's something traumatic that's just happened in somebody's life, that's where we pray for each other. And that's where we pray for our kids. And that's where we pray for our grandchildren. And that's where we pray. But our prayer time together um, we didn't do it for too long in our marriage, and I figured if I didn't do it for too long in our marriage, there are many of you that it's too far into your marriage and you're not doing, and today it needs to change. Today, tonight, before you go to bed, just say to your wife, you know what, we don't do this. Let's just do it. I don't know why we were blind to it. I don't know, I'm just a little smarter than a rock, but I know now we need to do this. And so today we're going to pray together. And every day, do it. Just do it. And if he forgets, don't, don't nag on him. Just go, hey, honey, let's pray together. So you worship the Lord and you get him in the right place on your focus. You have a problem in your marriage. You're trying to fix all these things. You're leaving God out of the fix when he needs to be the primary focus of it. It's God's idea. He deserves our worship. Here's the third thing. He's the Lord and he deserves our submission. Jesus Christ modeled this for us in Philippians 2, 5 to 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being formed in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He is the Lord. He deserves our submission. Why? Because love what he demonstrated for us, perfect submission for us. On Ephesians 5, 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He's the Lord. Look what he's done. He deserves our submission. I wrote this line down this week. God uses marriage as a picture of the work of Christ for the church and a picture of the relationship of Christ with his church. God uses marriage as a picture of the work of Christ for the church and a picture of the relationship of Christ with his church. Because of the demonstration of it, we're going to see it again in a minute at another point, we have this working of Jesus Christ for the church. He gave himself up for her. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Ultimate submission. Christ died for you. Christ died for me. 
It's a picture of what he did for the church. It's a picture of what he did for every one of us. It's the gospel. It's the good news. Going back to the failure and the fall in marriage, we now see it come full circle around and what Christ has done so that the Adam and Eve situation, dead in their sin, us, dead in our sin, can be made right with God because of the righteous work of Jesus Christ and what he did for us. The gospel is an awesome thing in God's working in our lives. And he did it as a picture of, of a husband and a wife. Jesus Christ gave up so much. He came to this earth. He sacrificed his life. He died so you spiritually did not have to spend eternity in hell. And by putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation, we can have eternal life. It's what Jesus Christ did for the church. It's what he did for you. It's a gift that's offered to us. We receive the gift by faith in Jesus Christ. I'm so thrilled that I'm not trying to perform to make God happy with me. Jesus Christ did everything that was needed to satisfy the wrath of God. All I have to do is receive the gift. And you can do that if you've never trusted Christ. You can do that today. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on what he's done and you'll be saved, the Bible says. You will be saved you'll be saved. That was the work of Christ for the church. And you have this picture of the relationship of Christ with his church. And that's the sanctifying part in all of us and God growing us up in Jesus Christ. And he deserves our submission because of what he did in coming and dying and paying a price and reconciling us to the Father. Picture of the relationship of Christ with his church. And we're going to get into Ephesians chapter 5, and some of you are going to get a little bent out of shape and all the rest of it. I'm just going to tell you it's God's word. And here's your problem your problem is you're just picking the verses you want to pick to make the thing that makes you angry instead of looking at the whole counsel of God and understanding what God calls us to as children of God in this. For instance, the men love to read the verse Wives, submit. Every man's favorite verse when he's married. Just, just do what I tell you to do. Well, first of all, that's the verse for the wives. I mean, stop reading that verse. There's another verse for you that's way stronger. Um, but we, we start at the, when you start at the wrong place, you end up at the wrong place. How about going back a few verses too? Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And let's do everything in our lives to uh, put God on the throne in our lives. And let's be filled with the Spirit. And then what God says to do, we'll do it out of a filling out of the Spirit, not out of some checklist thing. I have to do this. I don't want to do this. The world doesn't do this. Get to the right start and you'll end up in the right place. Here's another principle right in the verses, right before the wives submit to your husbands. Uh, you go back a couple verses and it says, um, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Do you not understand the whole Christian life is submission? It's submission. It's not just a marriage thing. It's an everything thing. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So when Paul then says, uh, wives, submit to your husband, that didn't surprise them. It wasn't like, oh, what do I have to do? He's going to stomp on me. It's the life of a believer. It's the learning how we submit under the headship of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on, and by the way, you men, you love your wife like Christ loved the church. There's never been a woman 
who struggled with submission to her husband, who had a husband who loved her like Christ loved the church. It just doesn't happen. And we get all bent out of shape. Or how come we have to submit? Hey, he died. That's the calling to the man. That's ultimate submission. And so people think, oh, only the women have to submit. It's just not true. It's not what Scripture teaches. The Scripture teaches mutual submission. It teaches wives, submit to your husbands. And it teaches husbands, you submit in such a way you'd be willing to die for your wife. I guess I got a little wound up about that. Marriage is a God thing. He's the example and he deserves our, our obedience. The example of submission, so obey in your submission. The example of commitment of Jesus Christ, so obey in your commitment. The example of I'm not giving up, so don't you give up in your marriage. You endure. I am so thankful that Jesus Christ didn't give up. He's, he's realizing he's suffering for the sin of the world. People who don't even want what he's offering. People who don't even desire it. And he didn't give up and he didn't quit. That's the picture for us. That's the picture. For, I'm not packing it in. I'm not quitting. I'm not going another way. The example of I'm not in it for myself. If Jesus was in it for himself, why would he go to the cross to die for people who hated him, didn't even want what he was offering to them? In your marriage, you're not in it for yourself. If you're in it for yourself, you're not in a good marriage and you need to get that fixed and you need to get that right before the Lord. I got a, saw a thing on Facebook um, just yesterday um, and uh, it was just a simple little graph, but it just said, um, what are you looking for in a husband? Okay, it's for wives or for girls. What are you looking for in a husband? Question, answer, God. And you're not looking for your husband to be God. You're not looking to worship him. You're looking for godliness in a husband. The fact that you might like peas, you might like all the same sports teams, you might like the same clothes, you even think of the kind of house you want to have, it's not enough. What you're looking for is a person who's about God. You're looking for God in the man that you will marry, women. You're looking for God in the wife that you will marry, man. That's what we're looking for. Because in a marriage, God needs to be on the throne. He needs to be first. Marriage is primarily a God thing. And he's the example and he deserves our obedience. And there's one more thing. Marriage is a God thing. We make our marriage covenant before him. We make our marriage covenant before him. A marriage is not designed for the convenience of paying bills. It's not designed so you can have a roommate with benefits. That's not what marriage is about. Marriage is not a contract between two people. It's more than a contract. It's a covenant that's made between two people that's made before God. A contract is an agreement that has an end. And if it doesn't work out, you find a way to get out of the contract. A covenant is a promise that is permanent. And the thing you say and the promise you make, no matter how hard it gets, no matter how difficult it gets, I am not bailing on this. You say, well, what about divorce? Yeah, because of the hardness of heart and because of sin. But it's not what God's design is. God's design is we are in it together. I know families in our church have gone through horrendous things. And they're still working it out and they're still underneath the headship of Christ and they're going forward and I know of, of situations where there's been unfaithfulness and I'm not quitting, I'm not giving up, I'm going to fight for this marriage because it will honor the Lord if we do. 
because we made a covenant. We made a promise. There's no room for a prenuptial agreement with a covenant. It's not, I know we're going to do this and I'm bringing this in, so we're going to protect this over here and and I'm bringing this and we're going to protect this over here. That's not a biblical marriage. That's a I want a way out kind of marriage. I'm going to protect the assets because they're more important than you are and they're more important than what God says about this topic. There's no room for yours and mine mentality in a covenant. I've got my bank account. He doesn't know what's going on over here and I have separate responsibilities and he has nothing over there. And That's not a covenant relationship. But what if it doesn't work out? What if it doesn't work out isn't even a conversation in a biblical marriage? You're never looking for a way out. If you're looking to have a way out, don't get in. Not if you want to have a marriage that's going to honor the Lord. But I think, Pastor, I think I married the wrong person. When you stood before God and you made your vows and you said, until I have no more breath. That was the point I know for certain that you married the right person. And that person is the marriage person for you as long as God gives you breath. You made your promise before the Lord. You work on your marriage. You work at it. You trust before the Lord. You watch what God can do in your marriage. You watch what he... First of all, people who say that are in a bad place. I get it. They've been hurt. They're struggling. They're trying to find a way out. Um, you know, people say this too. They say, well, you know, I, I never really loved him. That's a lie. The day you got married, you were all googly-eyed over each other. You couldn't see anybody else in the world. And yeah, it went bad. It's hard. It's difficult. And now you're saying things because you're looking for an exit ramp. There isn't a exit ramp in a covenant. You made this promise before Almighty God that you were in it until you die. When Sue and I got married, we said something like this. And we probably had more these and thous in it because back in 1979, that was appropriate. Um, I, Paul, take you, Sue, to be my lawful wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward. For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, I will love you and guard you and provide for you with all of the strength that God gives me. I will forsake all others and be faithful to you as long as we both shall live. That's the covenant. That's the promise. There's no escape route. There's no plan B. There's no, I hope this works out. This is before the Lord. Uh, people say, well, you know, it, um, is, it, is it God's will for me to marry that girl? Right? Here's what I know for sure. Do you have different views about God's will? Is it like a daughter? Is it a, here's what I know for sure. The day you stood at the front of the church or the day you made your vows, the day you made your promise, it became a dot. That is the person for you. That's the person for you for the rest of your life. You made a covenant. You're going to answer to God for how you deal with that covenant. Now, I want to be gracious. I want to be careful because there are people in the room who are divorced and maybe you're in the divorce and it's your fault and the reason of the divorce. It doesn't mean there can't be forgiveness. It doesn't mean there isn't restoration before the Lord. But in this thing, you failed. But God still loves you and he still cares for you. He's still passionate for you. And so help others not to do what you did. Now, maybe you're in the room and, and you're divorced and it wasn't your fault. You just got taken for a ride and 
And God loves you and he cares for you and he's passionate for you. But that's not what this message is about. This message is about God and marriage and that marriage is God's idea. And we make our covenant before the Lord. And so we need to live out our covenant. Our covenant. We do that through our worship together. We, we do that by never considering the D word. We've been married for almost 39 years. I've done some pretty stupid things along the way. There have been days like, what in the world did I get myself tied up to? And, and I'll, never once, never once. It's just not even a possibility. It's a, when you bring it into the zone of possibility, then you start to destroy the foundations of what God desires in your marriage. So you don't talk about it. You don't deny that it's true. The only reason God allowed it was because of the sinfulness of man and the hardness of man. So it's not part of our discussion. It's not part of what we do. We're going to live out what we committed to do. We're going to do what we said we would do for the purpose of pleasure and procreation and to be sanctified together to demonstrate the relationship of Christ and his church and to bring glory to God. That's what we're going for. That's what we all need to be going for. Well, so what? Marriage is a God thing. So what? Can I just say this? If your marriage is in trouble today, I can say one thing with 100% certainty, and that is that God is not on the throne in your marriage. If your marriage is in trouble today, God is not on the throne in your marriage. And you're like, what do you mean? I love the Lord with all my heart. He's a, he's a, he's a nut. Well, then he's the guy that's not on the throne. I'm just saying, when you both have God first in your marriage, your marriage will be all right. People say that marriages in the church is as much divorce in the church as outside of the church. It's not true. It's an absolute lie. The church of Jesus Christ, where people are focused towards the Lord, divorces seldom happen. So don't believe the lie, even that other Christians try and tell you. It's just not true. I love the fact that I could go and put up the, all of the elders in our church and how long they've been married. It's a demonstration of this works. This works. And it works when God is on the throne. It works when we put him first. And even though we might be going through difficult times, even though there might be disappointments, even though we're trying to figure it all out, when you get your focus back right on God first, most people don't need marriage counseling. They need to focus on God and you get that right, the other parts are going to work out. Do we need help from time to time? Of course. And it's okay to get help when you're going through a difficult thing or there's been a disappointment. Or a, but the reality is God first, God on the throne. This is his idea. And when we do it right, we do it his way. The success rate is 100%. It pushes selfishness aside. It pushes pride aside. It takes temptation and pushes it down so that we're not taking our focus off the one God has given us and putting it on someone else. That's what, what God is doing. Hey, church, you, me, and he, marriage is God's idea. We're going to go through a whole series of all the kinds of things we're going to learn, but we get this foundation right. This principle, this marriage thing was God's plan. It was his idea. Let's get our focus back on him in our marriage for the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word and thank you for the challenge of it. We live in a world that does not value what we're talking about today, but you do. You gave your son, you used the death of your son, you gave us the picture of marriage and how you wanted to demonstrate it, Lord, and God, I pray. 
I pray for my own marriage that you would protect me, you would protect Sue, you would protect us, that as we get into the stuff we have to wrestle through, we get our eyes fixed on you. And God, for the marriages in our church, help us, Lord. Help us to do that. So that our kids who watch us, our neighbors who watch us, they would be, what's the reason of the hope that is in you? You guys are so different than everybody else. Your thing works. It doesn't work because we're so good. It works because you're so good. God, do this work for your glory in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.